Hello and welcome to this video. Today I am joined with my good friend Amos to um, talk about philosophy and its theology at Oxford. I'm not sure what I'll call this series um, Deep Dark Secrets About Studying at Oxford, perhaps, yeah, or something along those lines where I interview different people at Oxford at doing different courses and then introducing you to what it's like to study at Oxford and also how you may um, apply to certain courses. So today we're going to start off with talking about, well, what is philosophy and theology, Amos? So let's, mm. let's just run through the definitions. Mm -hmm. Philosophia, love of wisdom. Mm -hmm. That's one. But that doesn't capture what philosophy is in the actual world because mm -hmm. most professional philosophers are like in it for money and prestige mm. and ideas, but not yes. love of wisdom per Indeed. se. Uh, there's there's also like Alvin Plantinga's definition, which is just philosophy is thinking really hard about mm -hmm. stuff, but that's not philosophy because yes. that applies mm -hmm. to science and maths as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what a good definition of philosophy is other than just defining it by abstention, like philosophers are doing it. So yeah. we just point to that. Mm -hmm. And if they call it philosophy, yeah. it's probably philosophy. Mm -hmm. Do you think that kind of ties into the idea where it almost it used to be such a kind of a niche thing, but with with society becoming so broad or with with so many new schools of thoughts arriving or modes of inquiry arriving, it kind of has gotten so broad that it's almost we have to redefine uh, philosophy in some sense when you think about actually what is philosophy, because you could think back at Aristotle. At those times, they didn't have like quantum mechanical kind of engineers and computers. So now we have um, philosophy as in perhaps more general philosophy, epistemology, all these different small things, which of course we'll get into a bit later on in this video. But perhaps let's turn on to the other side of our course, which is theology. What actually is theology and what are we studying in theology? So I guess we're studying God and things directly related mm -hmm. to God. So like if you can write a sentence that begins with God did X or God mm -hmm is x mm -hmm. then that statement falls mm -hmm. under the theology yes perhaps someone might be looking at this course and say well actually i i'm really interested in developing my relationship with god but but will i actually get it in 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 theology because of course when people enter into this theological pursuit they seem to think that it's going to be like this spiritual almost monastic tradition where you end and end up in like this i i, I suppose i have this kind of medieval conception of of a theologian, Thomas Aquinas, writing in a, in a monastery or something along those lines. But it seems that it, theology seems to be way more academic, perhaps, than perhaps religion, per se. What would be your thoughts about that? I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping that studying theology will mm -hmm. lead me to a relationship with God. Uh, I was an agnostic before I started at Oxford. In the second week, I became a theist, so I'm on mm -hmm. a good trajectory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I guess I'll find out whether <laughs> it actually does help. I, mean, yeah, I guess, like, on an abstract level, like knowing about the person you're in a relationship <laughs> with is important for developing yeah. a relationship, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. So what would you say are some things that we've been learning? Now we've talked a bit about what is philosophy and theology in general. What are the things that we've actually been learning as part of this course? So we together yes. have been uh, taking, the only course we've been taking at the same time is the figure of Jesus through mm -hmm. the centuries. Yeah. So um, we're starting with the figure of Jesus in the Gospels, and then we're sort of going all the way up until John Donne. Um, and everything in between. So, uh, yeah, like the medieval theologians, mm -hmm. and then before that, uh, like the different conciliar statements on Jesus's relationship to the Father and mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Um, we're doing slightly different electives. Mm -hmm. I'm doing uh, biblical Hebrew. Yeah, and I'm doing um, introduction to the study of the Bible. And and the reason right. why I did introduction to the study of the Bible was because I was a bit too. Um, and let's just say I was a bit too lazy to try to learn a new language. And what I've heard from my friends, and perhaps you could elaborate on it a bit more, learning language has been very, very tough. 
I've only had to attend one lecture a week for that. So, so perhaps you could elaborate on it more. How yeah. is it to study a language in, in Oxford, especially maybe Hebrew? It's pretty crazy. I mean, because all of the ancient languages, there's a requirement that you don't have any experience in the language before you start mm. it. And so it's a whole new alphabet. Mm. I think Hebrew is especially tricky mm -hmm. just in terms of like the grammar and the alphabet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we definitely do more than an hour of a week. We're, we're, we're told to do at least an hour of revision on mm -hmm. our own a day. And then we also have three hour long tutorials mm -hmm. per week with our class. Mine's about five people mm -hmm. um, and the instructor. Shout out to Kim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're watching this, you sound like a phenomenal guy. <laughs> no, but, 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 but on another note, uh, how would you say it is kind of adapting into studying Hebrew? Or, or just a new language would you say it's been a challenging but fun experience or has it been like really really tough and at times you're like oh my gosh what am I doing here it has been fun but it has been challenging mm -hmm. I'm not really a linguist mm -hmm. I don't speak any other languages I dropped French after GCSE mm -hmm. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably <my language. laughs> um but yeah everyone else in my mm -hmm. class has uh, pretty much learned another language apart from one so um I'm sort of on the on the back foot but I'm yeah. trying <laughs> so so would you say i mean I, I suppose we all got that email before we even started which which ex additional um optional paper would you want to do introduction to the study of the bible or or these languages would you recommend if you were back going back to that time would you recommend that self to say actually doing a language is quite good or or would you say actually the workload in oxford is quite tough maybe you should maybe start off with introduction to the study of the bible and then move on to hebrew or I don't know. It's been hard. I've never felt sort of mm. comfortable, but mm -hmm. then again, I've never felt completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it is doable. I would recommend doing Hebrew. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if I could have recommended another one, it would have been Religion and Religions, mm -hmm. which is just a intro to comparative religions course. Mm -hmm. you know, I think you do four religions that aren't Christianity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And I think I think perhaps we could talk a bit more about choosing those electives because, of course. It, in Oxford, our first year is a bit more strict or at least well-defined than the next years we could choose, have more elective courses. But when you're applying to philosophy and theology, what you're going to notice is that the philosophy course is going to be general philosophy, logic, um, moral philosophy, and you don't really have much choice within that apart from, do you have that choice to do um, either four weeks of logic classes or, or, or eight weeks of logic classes? If I have had that choice, mm -hmm. it wasn't revealed to me. <laughs> yes. Well, well, perhaps I've just shot all the Oriole professors in the foot here by, by revealing this possibility. But in fact... Yeah. I mean, I, it would make sense. Uh, I, th I think it may be a thing that varies from college to college. Yes. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. I think we do have to do all eight weeks mm -hmm. of logic. But yeah. then in our prelims and the final exams mm -hmm. for year one, we can just choose to focus on the part of logic that's mm -hmm. the first four chapters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's looking like that's going to be what I do. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yes, that, that seems to be the case as well. But though I do intend to try to approach the second eight chapters, well, the second four chapters. And, and when we're talking about chapters, we're talking about uh, the logic manual by Volker Halbach. And we'll talk a bit more about possible books you might need to read or or not necessarily need to read but books you might want to look at when you are choosing to apply for philosophy and theology or any course relating to philosophy in general and I'll probably raise that book it's somewhere behind me but but it is um we're referring to this uh, book called The Logic Manual by Volker Halbach which is kind of a required set text for you to read when you're studying introduction to logic papers however building on that what would you say is well how do you find the philosophy side of things do you think that that is difficult how have you felt about studying philosophy and what kind of inspirations has it, has it given you? So 
this term I haven't actually studied any philosophy apart from doing the lectures. Mm -hmm. so, so I've done I've done logic. Mm -hmm. It feels more like maths. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm doing philosophy mm -hmm. when I'm doing logic. Yeah. Um, so the philosophy I'm doing is all just mm -hmm. like in my own time. Mm -hmm. So I still find time to read uh, and write and stuff. Um, but yeah, as far as what's related to the course, it hasn't felt very philosophical. I think next term it will be, yeah. we'll do general philosophy, just like a guided tour of the eight biggest problems in philosophy. Yeah. And then, I've been attending yeah. the general philosophy lectures though. I attended the first two. Yes. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and that's something which you should notice when you're um, watching this from home is that every single co college does things differently. So I've had to do uh, the figure of Jesus tutorials and the, and the general philosophy tutorials this term. So I've actually already had like six tutorials on on um, on general philosophy. So you just want to bear in mind that when you're applying to a college and I don't think you actually get to know about the structure of how they teach each course before you apply. But but still, each college does indeed have their different kind of ways to present the course and to teach course. That's something you want to keep in mind. But perhaps turning on to the other side of things, how how are you finding theology? Theology, I'm really, really enjoying. Um, I really like the tutorials. Our, our tutor is sort of reintroducing this ancient tradition mm -hmm. where you have to wear your commoners down to mm -hmm. tutorials and it's like this long flowing like demental kind of ribbon robe thing mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that you wear when you matriculate and when you attend formal dinners and like any other formal occasion. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, yeah, but they, they've, been, they've been really fun. Um, I, I like essay writing is something I'm better mm -hmm. at than like nonverbal reasoning, mm -hmm. which yeah. I'm horrendous at. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, yeah, I, I found the theology side much easier this time. So, so perhaps what are some of the topics we, you've done in, um, in, in, in theology? Are these related to the figure of Jesus? Yeah, or? only related to the figure of Jesus. Uh, like Hebrew, obviously, it, it circles around mm -hmm. theology when you can actually read biblical text, mm -hmm. but I can't read biblical text yet. I can just like pass like little, little mm -hmm. words and yeah. like read sentences. Mm -hmm. So, perhaps we can turn on to kind of from the individual kind of subjects to kind of more of an overarching thing. How are lectures at Oxford University? I suppose a lot of people might be interested in this. A lot of people attend these universities. Like, ah, we, we got some lectures coming up. I'm, I'm very excited for that. How have the lectures been for you? So there are some lectures I go to out of desperation, like mm -hmm. focus lectures. Yes. Those are necessary. <laughs> yes. I haven't attended two, actually. So. Um, I mean, to be fair, they're probably not necessary because he just puts the chapters mm. of the book on a slideshow and yes. actually reads them out. Um, but I feel like I just need the topic to wash over mm -hmm. my brain before yes. I can read the chapter mm -hmm. and understand it. And mm -hmm. I still don't understand mm -hmm. it. <laughs> mm. uh, otherwise, the philosophy lectures, they've been good, but they're on a Wednesday and that's when all of my work is just mm -hmm. crammed into yes. one day and I have to get it done mm -hmm. so I, I can't attend. Um, mm -hmm. the, the moral philosophy lectures... Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've been to many of those, but they are insane. They are brilliant. They are. They are. They're. They're. I. I. I don't know how to explain this. And if you are thinking about applying to Oxford, you. You really should come just for this moral philosophy lecture and apply before the guy disappears and stops doing them. But they are of a different kind. I have to say, and I don't think I can disclose too much, lest I get this channel revoked by Oxford University. Yeah. But. But they are truly one of a kind, and they do bright up, brighten up your dreary Friday mood. I suppose. Yeah, the, the guy is basically a comedian. It's it's yes. absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. 
the thing which he drinks in, in class. I don't, I, I don't know if we should say much about that. Yes, no, I, I don't think we could say much about anything which goes on on this on this uh, in this lecture unless we get demonetized. Though, though I have to say the, that that is definitely the the lecture that I do attend every single week, like a religion. Apart from all the other lectures, which I, I I occasionally show up and occasionally do not, and perhaps we could talk a bit more about this. Do you think it is necessary to apply, uh, turn up to all all lectures in Oxford? I do not. Mm. Um, so I think it may be beneficial uh, to like attend all of them if it's just out of a principle <laughs> of like doing everything, <laughs> and then that might um, mean that you do everything <laughs> in other areas of your academic <laughs> life as well. If you're not gonna um, be that amazing, I think <laughs> it's not yeah. necessary to attend all lectures because they usually don't help with the essay. Mm -hmm. What helps most with the essay is the primary reading. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have a time clash mm -hmm. with some work you actually need to mm -hmm. get done, it's just not the most efficient yes. way to get through your essay. I thoroughly agree with you on that. I genuinely think that going to lectures, although it's nice, you, you realize that it actually isn't very important especially I think for the Oxford experience, I th think this might be a reason why Oxford is so unique, is precisely because, well, if you compare it to another school like Universe, maybe UCL or something like that, they don't really have these tutorial sessions, they don't really have these essay writings. And as a result, all the information is tied directly to the, to kind of the lecture that you have to attend. But then with us, we have so many kind of, so many materials and different ways to interact with uh, professors. And as a result, lectures drop in value significantly. I, I'm not saying that they're horrible. If you're interested in attending them, feel free to go attend them. But I'm just saying that you don't need to be expecting to actually attend every single lecture. Now, tying to the lectures, how are you finding tutorials so far, especially in philosophy and theology? Loving them. So, um, I mean, you know, logic sheets, mm -hmm. just because of the content, mm -hmm. are incredibly grueling. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I, I do love my tutor um he's really really good uh my yeah my, my hebrew tutorials are also lovely again shout out to kian lovely man uh, and uh yeah my my theology cheats yeah they've been they've been great as well I, for my first i think three or four i had them just one-on-one -on -one, yeah um just because of the way the time sampling mm -hmm. was done and so uh like most people thought like that's going to be like really intense mm -hmm. um it was actually pretty Great. I got through way more stuff mm -hmm. and sometimes I got through less stuff because I just go into like really deep arguments so mm -hmm. in one of my cheats I just completely diverted from I think the Council of Chalcedon mm -hmm. to like arguing about the metaphysics and modality for uh, about yes. 40 minutes mm -hmm. and it was completely unrelated but it was super fun so <laughs> yes definitely I, and it's quite interesting you raised the Council of Chalcedon because we actually didn't have that in our in our eight um, tutorials we actually didn't cover the Council of Chalcedon at all I think we did what were the eight um, essays we did? We did one on um, Docetism. We did one on um, Anselm, Julian of Norwich. And then we did, I actually can't remember. Most of we didn't do Julian of Norwich. Did not do Julian Norwich. No. no. Did you do the one on um, Strauss or did you do Baltimore no. instead? No. Neither. Yeah. So, so I suppose that illustrates quite a lot about the individual college nature of, of, of um, Oxford. It really is about kind of how your individual college structures it and also how your college kind of teaches it because although we're doing the same course he's clearly learning a significantly different amount of um, material as I am so so it really depends on who you're working with and who you're interacting with when you are kind of applying it to the course now perhaps we move on a bit further and say well what are some of the books you would say are helpful in applying to philosophy or theology or someone who's interested in getting into this course so I think Oxford has a long list of mm -hmm. kind of introductory yes. text or classic texts mm -hmm. 
I think if you're new to philosophy, you should read those. I think if you already have established interests in philosophy, you should just carry on exploring mm-hmm. yeah. your own rabbit holes. I think that's much better. Yeah. It's, it's much more authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think all of the questions that I feel like I answered well in my interview were from just self-study yeah. of things I was interested in. So mm-hmm. just read what's fun. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I agree with you on the philosophy point in that sense, just because I think the at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to your interview. And in your interview, you want to come off as authentic. Like you could you could read all the general introduction to philosophy textbooks, but but at the same time, you're either if you, if that's your main point of the interview, it's kind of expected that you have some knowledge of general philosophy. But if you could really start talking about kind of the different rabbit holes you've been studying or things you've really been interested in, then you can really develop it further. Now, that's not to say that there aren't any texts which don't help or or um or don't help uh, specifically. I do think that um you guys can check out Descartes' Meditation and Hume's Dialogues of Natural. Um, what's it called? Inquiry into human reasoning. Is that is that what the human work is called? Something. Let me check. Um, it's it's Hume's an inquiry concerning human understanding. That's it. Those have come come up quite a lot in our um in our general philosophy course as part of our reading. Of course, you should go check out. I really don't. I feel bad at promoting his book, but because that's going to give him more money. I should get an um, affiliate link for that, so I might make up some money off it. But, but go check out a Volker Halbach's Logic Manual. I mean, if you understand everything which goes on in that work before you even get into Oxford, I say I'll, I'll give you a good, huge hand of applause because, well, you clearly know more about logic than I do, I think. And also that is basically what you need to do for the logic course. At, but for the theology side, it's very difficult to recommend anything just because a lot of the primary sources just go anywhere and without actually knowing what your teacher is going to teach. Yeah. It's very difficult to actually know what, what you're actually going to do for that. I mean, one thought is just to read the most important religious texts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember on the theology group chat, people, when they were starting their degree, they were saying, hey, guys, I haven't read the Bible yet, should I? And mm-hmm. like, I think maybe you should. Yeah. Um, not just the Bible, though. Like, I'm, I'm sort of making my way through the Book of Mormon at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you should, yeah, read a whole bunch. But, yeah, just read the originals, I think. Mm-hmm. That's super important. Before carrying on with this interview, I'd like to ask you a question. You, you raised something very fascinating, saying you, you went from an agnostic to a theist mm-hmm. since you've gotten here. Can you tell me a bit more about this? Because that's something I'm very curious about. Yeah, well, it's a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was reflecting on the argument from psychophysical harmony. Would you please explain to the viewers who may not know what um, the argument yeah. from psychophysical harmony is? So, yeah, if, if you want to go into it more, there are a bunch of interviews on it uh, with Dustin Crummett and with Brian Cutter. They co-authored a paper recently. It's currently unpublished, but it's in its preprint version, which you can read online. Um, and so the idea is essentially... There is a very fortunate matchup between our mental states and physical states. Mm-hmm. So um, the psychophysical laws, the laws that govern the relationship between consciousness and the physical world, result in psychophysical harmony. Mm-hmm. So when we see things, those things are actually there. When we're stabbed, we feel uh, pain mm-hmm. instead of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, conceivably, the laws could have been completely different and disharmonious, such that mm-hmm. All I ever saw was static and all I ever mm-hmm. felt was the feeling of tepid bathwater mm-hmm. and all I ever heard was Nirvana playing in my mm-hmm. ears over and over again. Um, and it seems like some of these ways the psychophysical laws could have been are actually intrinsically more probable than the ones mm-hmm. we observe now, like because there are ones that are way simpler. Mm-hmm. You could have just seen the color black mm-hmm. and heard a single, single noise and felt a single feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the psychophysical laws conceivably could have been that way. And so it's 
incredibly surprising that they're not mm. and that they they appear to be so finely tuned mm-hmm. um, for harmony now. Or like on a hypothesis and naturalism, on atheism, this is very surprising mm-hmm. because presumably on naturalism, the universe is indifferent mm-hmm. to uh, to like producing particular goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas on theism, it's not ridiculously mm-hmm. surprising yes. mm-hmm. because presumably God, if he is going to create creatures, would want mm-hmm. creatures who can interact with the world properly mm-hmm. and whose mental states match up with physical states mm-hmm. in rationally appropriate ways. Yes. So would you say that this is kind of a development of the fine-tuning argument? It perhaps? is, but but for the mind. And mm-hmm. it, it also doesn't fall into any of the same pitfalls mm-hmm. as the fine-tuning argument. So that there are some weaknesses of the fine-tuning argument that this argument just doesn't share. Mm-hmm. So one, for example, is you can undercut uh, the inference from fine-tuning to theism mm-hmm. with the simulation hypothesis. Mm-hmm. It predicts the data presumably just as well. Mm-hmm. But um, with this argument, it's about much more fundamental metaphysical mm-hmm. laws, the psychophysical laws. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if we're positing that a, a species of intelligent humans or aliens mm-hmm. fine-tune the universe with a simulation, then we'd want to explain mm-hmm. their psychophysical yes. harmony. Mm-hmm. So before we carry on on talking about your tra- tra- transition from agnosticism to theism, perhaps, I would just like to give a quick shout out to Luke Barnes, who came on my channel um, a few days ago. I haven't actually published that video yet, but you can hear the full recording of that on my um, podcast, Dostoyevsky, and also I have uploaded it there. However, if you do want the full video, then wait a few days and I'll upload it when I actually get time to actually edit the video. But but um, carrying on um, with your journey from um, agnosticism to theism, do you think it was your course in being at Oxford which helped it? Or would you say it was kind of just, it's so it just so happened that that occurred when you were at Oxford? No, I think it just so happened that mm. it occurred when yes. I was at Oxford. I don't think there was any any relation, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the size of all the churches that mm-hmm. maybe changed my feelings mm-hmm. towards the argument. But I think I'd just been thinking about it for a few months and there were lots of different issues to sort out mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i've just realized at some point at 12.05 on a tuesday night that i was i was mm-hmm. more convinced than not when you say you're a theist would you say you're a christian theist mm-hmm. or are you just kind of a theist simplicity yeah just a very like very tentatively a mm-hmm. theist i think what this argument does is for me it puts naturalism to the side standard forms of naturalism mm-hmm. it's still compatible with sort of non-theistic hypotheses mm-hmm. which also predict uh, psychophysical mm-hmm. harmony. So um, one might be Thomas Nagel's view that the universe ha- is built with teleological laws mm-hmm. and that those um, develop towards like valuable end states. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that's a version of naturalism in some way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't appeal to God. Yeah. So there, there are other kind of theism adjacent hypotheses mm-hmm. that predict the data as well. Um, I guess I just think that theism wins out because it's way more intrinsically probable mm-hmm. than some of these other views. So I, I'm just like a very tentative, minimal theist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have a theology yet. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that learning theology has kind of helped you develop that theology, understanding what this theistic God is? Or would you sometimes feel that it's almost become a, you almost become a bit detached from that God but via learning theology? I want to say neither. No. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've learned anything about God, like learned as a... Mm-hmm is a factive mm-hmm. word like it assumes that the thing you learn is is true i guess mm-hmm. yeah. um so like conditional on christianity mm-hmm. being true i guess i've learned things mm-hmm. about god but i'd need to believe that christianity yeah. is the truth mm-hmm. first 
right? And I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. I need to look through the resurrection evidence. And before that, I need to establish that the prior probability of miracles is sufficiently high mm -hmm. as to like outweigh Hume's mm -hmm. criticism. Yes, indeed. Now, now perhaps I'd, I, I suppose um, the viewers who are watching this on my uni application channel might not be too um, interested <laughs> in the paraphysical, what, what's it called again? The psychophysical, psychophysical harmony yeah. argument. But, but I suppose um, what I am trying to develop here is that, well, at when you're applying to university as kind of philosophical philosophy and theology course, a lot of times people might approach it from a theistic lens, perhaps. Mm -hmm. They might be a Christian saying, I want to learn more, or maybe I want to pursue ministry, or I want to understand more and develop my relationship with God. However, since I've been here, it seems that it's being taught in a way more secular lens, and it and in some ways it appeals both to the theist and perhaps, a, well, a Christian theist and also a theist like you, and even an atheist, perhaps. Would you say that that's a correct kind of characterization? And, and perhaps when people are coming to this course, they shouldn't really expect to be, oh, I, I'm suddenly becoming enlightened in, about the divine nature of reality, but more so I can understand more about theistic claims, but not really about how I am using those claims to relate with God. Yeah, that's that's completely right. So it is neutral in the way it's mm -hmm. taught. I think to, to do well, you need to be able to get inside the mind of a Christian mm -hmm. and a believers of other religions. Mm -hmm because otherwise you just won't be able to present their views sympathetically. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you can't just get inside the mind of somebody mm -hmm. who believes in the Trinity, then you won't be able to present it in a coherent mm -hmm. way in an yeah. essay. But um, yeah, it, I, I think it's, yeah, it, it's, it's done in a, in a pretty neutral way mm -hmm. in a way that's challenging for theists mm -hmm. and atheists. And also for, um, it, it, you know, not just between Christians and atheists, but between other religious worldviews. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I won't say who, but there was uh, an Anglican, theology tutor from another college who told me he gave me his business card and told me that uh if i ever wanted to study church history for, from a latter-day saint friendly perspective <laughs> I, I should apply to do theology with him i think he thought i was mormon because i was hanging around with a bunch of mormon ah, people mm -hmm. at a like mormon anglican crossover mm -hmm. event <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so if there are any any latter-day saints who want to study church history from an lds friendly perspective you should definitely <laughs> indeed um, this guy broke yes strange things do happen in these courts of in these courts of old i i suppose but but perhaps um to slowly wrap off this um this interview with with you what would you say are the top three things that that you would give as an advice to someone who's applying to philosophy and theology. Hmm. I want to give kind of unique bits of advice mm -hmm. that aren't just yeah, standard. Um, I, I, I want to say put a lot of effort into your personal statement. Um, hmm. So one part of putting effort into your personal statement is like doing things that you can write about. That's obvious. Another thing is learning how to write properly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember when I was leaving school, I ended up, I think, proofreading if not basically doing about 20 people's personal statements <laughs> just you know people who are, who are my friends and I read their personal statements and I was like yikes like this this is not this is not possible and I wanted them to succeed so I felt like a moral obligation to like write it for them basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, with their help you know it was very authentic and personal yes. to them um but yeah, I, I think on that point, you should just read lots of style guides, maybe like Dreyer's English, um, Economical Writing by Deirdre McCloskey, um, The Elements of Style, just like all of the classic mm -hmm. style guides, and learn how to write properly, mm -hmm. and then you'll be able to put a puzzle same in, in words that sound like you. Yes.
Indeed. I think that's a very good tip. And before you kind of elaborate further, I would like to kind of, first of all, you guys can go check out my how to write a personal statement video that I have put on this channel. Also, if you want more detailed looks into how to write a personal statement and tips about how to actually make it sound proper, um, I also have a course about applying to the UCAS, which you can check out at Logos Education below. And, and that's definitely something you can go check out. And I do want to emphasize so much on the idea of making it sound proper. Because a lot of times you can have all the best ideas within a personal statement. But sometimes the way it just comes out is just so abhorrently wrong. I, that, that, that It makes it kind of ridiculous. And, I, and I've had to edit, like you, I did a lot of personal statements for my friends. And, it's not, and, I, when, and when I make those changes, I rarely actually change the individual content of it. Of course, there's times where I say maybe you could write, read another book or something mm -hmm. like that about it. Just to give more straight through academic kind of intuition or knowledge. But at the same time... A lot of them just don't sound right. They yeah. just sound wrong. And, and that's something that I think is often overlooked. I think a lot of people look at it at, at, at the personal statement as something they just tick off. I've talked about two books. I've talked about this and just they tick off the list. But in reality, what this truly is about is really to not only make it sound right, but actually show that you can write well. And yeah. Oxford being an essay writing school, you have to learn how to write a good essay. And, and that's kind of an important part about the personal statement. What would be some other things that you would do for your... I mean, lots of advice probably isn't very applicable. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, one thing I did, it wasn't for university. It was just for fun. Like I, I, I got into academic publishing before I started at uni. That was just something that I felt like doing. I had mm -hmm. arguments that I wanted to present. And mm -hmm. so I published them. Um, I assume that helps. Mm -hmm. Uh, but like, I don't think I can start like recommending that people like start publishing mm. in journals. That's yeah. kind of that, like that's not that's not good advice. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. <laughs> you can always self-publish a book like I've done, and, yeah. and, and that also makes it. Not only do you not need to edit it at all with anyone, you can just put it on Amazon and say you published a book. Just write whatever you want to throw it on Amazon. By the way, I'm actually writing a second edition to that, which will actually get properly published. So, so that is going to uh, come out in a bit, maybe after Christmas or sometime then. But, but nevertheless, I would say do something to show that you actually are interested beyond just saying that I've read a few books, either write for a school journal or whatever it is. I mean, you might not need to go so far to write academically published works. But essay competitions. But essay, yes, that does help. Yeah. And you don't actually need to win them, actually. <laughs> I had a good friend who, well, well, I mean, of course it would do better if you did win them, but, but just to say you applied to the essay competition is normally good enough and say yeah. that I've actually written it. And at the end of the day, we all know how English works. You can always write it as a way that to say that, oh, I did very well in this competition when you actually didn't win it. But, but that's, kind of another, that's kind of another trick you could throw to the side, I suppose. But would you have any third tips, perhaps? <laughs> I'm wondering if we should skip on to the bit where, they, where they've got the interview. Yes, actually, I think that's a good thing. How? Yeah. What would be some key tips going into an interview? Um, so don't be nervous. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not that scary. I mean, I remember. I mean, it's intense. I remember after one of my interviews with like a very sharp metaphysician, I was basically limping afterwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was it was a great experience, but yeah. <laughs> it was also brutal. And mm. um, like, you, you should expect to be like. You should you should expect to be grilled, and you should expect um, like any throwaway statement you made to be picked up on, mm -hmm. and then made the subject of the rest of the mm -hmm. interview. Yeah. So, don't don't make any statements overconfidently. Mm -hmm. Only say what you think you can justify with an argument, mm -hmm. and then when they disprove you, as they inevitably will, yes, yeah. uh, you should just immediately admit that you were you're wrong about that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yes. And I think if you do that, and you you're interested in the subject 
then that will come through. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with you on that point. And I think it's very important to go into the interview quite humble. I mean, you want to be really prepared going into it. And, and that's why, in some sense, reading about general philosophy does help just to have some understanding of what is maybe basically what is what is the nature of the mind or what do you feel is knowledge or what is personal identity. You don't need to understand everything and read loads of literature about it, but just to get the idea of possible things which may come up on the general philosophy paper is quite helpful in the interview. And also, I think, as you say, you, you're, they're not expecting you to be able to defend a master thesis on, on philosophy in your interview. They're wanting you to figure out how you think how you could develop ideas, how you could present yourself. And as a result, it's very important that I think one of a very interesting tip and something which is very helpful is to get a friend who's also interested in philosophy and just talk to them about philosophy on for yeah. hours on end. And, and that is really helpful, just challenge each other, develop each other's thoughts, and that would actually help a lot. I think one thing about preparation is you shouldn't expect that they'll ask you about a mainstream mm -hmm. question in yeah. philosophy. They almost definitely won't. Mm -hmm. They'll ask you about a question that you've like almost certainly never engaged with before and they would have chosen the question because yeah. you've never engaged mm -hmm. with it um so what they're testing you for is just critical thinking yes. skills mm -hmm. so do philosophy but don't just read about it like as you read it you're practicing it mm -hmm. and yeah. evaluate it uh, that's that's the preparation it's yeah. critical thinking mm -hmm. it's not knowledge definitely i completely agree with you on that point and i think that while it does help interacting with questions you need to constantly think critically about what you're reading because a lot of times when you're reading you can start skimming through it and saying well okay I'm just I just want to get a few quotes and I'll throw the book away afterwards like I do with most of my essays <laughs> but but in fact you really want to wrestle with the ideas and that wrestling will definitely prepare you yeah. further before we end off this video are there any further closing remarks or about philosophy or theology in general or applying to Oxford you should definitely do it um... yes I mean, you never know that you're going to get in or not. I mean, everyone can get into Oxford and, and it's definitely something that you should definitely try. I mean, out. look, I was subscribed to Josh's channel before I came here and look where that got me. I think <laughs> <laughs> he's actually found himself in a room with me as well. <laughs> you know, you know, that's one thing. I, I never knew that you were subscribed to my channel until you, you texted me on that freshers page. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not really a big commenter, I do, <laughs> but... I, I, yeah, I was aware of your stuff. Um, yes. How did you come I, across I, my channel? I've always been very curious. I don't know. I, I assume it was just recommended to me. Maybe you did an interview with someone cool, and then I came mm. across that. I don't know who it would have been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it was probably just that. Like you did an interview, and then and then I. So it, it was the second channel, philosophy, philosophy for all. Mm -hmm which you should definitely subscribe yes. to. Yes, <laughs> like and subscribe, leave comments in the comments below if you want more of this guy, you want to talk about the, the psycho... Psychophysical harmony. Psychophysical harmony, I'll, I'll, I'll nail that after maybe a few years of talking to you, but, but, but somewhere down the line, I'm definitely going to get him onto the Philosophy for All channel. Is there anything else you want to promote or any projects you're doing that you want people to follow or any um, more ideas? Well, you should absolutely follow me on Twitter. My handle is at goingawol. I've just started a Twitter a few days ago and you should absolutely get on following me because I'll have the spiciest content. Every time I publish something new, I'll post it. Uh, the next thing to be published, it should be out before Christmas, is my article, A New Way to Oppose Abortion. So uh, definitely subscribe for spicy content. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining in. This video is going to be shortened into different uh, random clips. And also the whole interview is going to come out on the Josh Yen channel. So make sure to like and subscribe. And before we end off, if you want more free application advice to the top unis in the world, then go check out the link below where you can join my free newsletter at Logos Education. Stay safe, my friends. See you soon. Thank you for watching. And I'll see you in the next one.